Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus and Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she, found, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the Lord, to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, we love you so much. Father, we stand in awe of you, of your greatness, of your power, of your mercy, of your grace. Uh, Father, you are so infinite. We are so finite. You stretch out the heavens with your hands. You hold the oceans in the palm of your hands. You breathe out stars, and yet you came as a little baby. And, And God, though the story is so familiar to us, many of us have heard it for decade after decade after decade after decade. But God, I just pray that it never loses its wonder, that a God so great would love people so much, that it would come so far just to be with us, that he would endure so much just to be with us forever. And so, Father, I pray as we talk more about, you know, the first Christmas, Lord, and um, I pray you enable us to hear it fresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can be seated. As always, the option to remain standing the entire time is always out there, all right? Feel free to do that. So we're, we're in this mini-series that we're calling Portraits of Christmas. And we kicked it off last Sunday. We're going to wrap it up next Sunday when we, we look at some wise guys from the East who brought gifts to Jesus. And, and what these wise guys are going to teach us uh, uh, is they're going to teach us something about worship. We're going to see in them a portrait of worship. Um, on Christmas Eve, you know, we have a 3 o'clock and a 5 o'clock service at Christmas Eve. You're going to hear a, a very many message um, during that time. But we're going to look at uh, what the Christmas story, where we see this portrait of God. You know, what, what does the Christmas story tell us and reveal to us uh, about our awesome God? And again, that's 3 o'clock and, and 5 o'clock. Um, I do want to remind you guys that every Christmas Eve, uh, we take up an offering. Um, this, I think it's the third year of doing this where we take up an offering and the money we collect at Christmas Eve goes out and helps a, a, a village, a community in the third world country that does not have clean water to have clean water. And uh, we tied into a, a, another new place. Um, it, it's, uh, it's called um, New Life Ministries. And 
what they do is that this guy designed basically a water purification system. And when I called the guy to talk to him this week, interestingly, he had a guy from Liberia with him at the time, and they have a huge container that they're shipping over 38 different purifiers and submersible pumps to give uh, pure water to 38 different uh, villages and communities in Liberia. And, and uh, what we're going to try to do is, you know, it, it's run on a 12-volt a battery, a car, a car battery. And obviously, it needs to be charged. And, and you know, and, and the chargers, like, use uh, solar energy, and they're $100 a piece. So we're, we're hoping to raise $3,800, and, and that way we will help supply water to 38 different uh, places in Liberia. So we're really excited about it. So, Christmas Eve, come, come prepared to give something. And it's really neat to give the gift of life literally to people, you know, who don't have clean water. You know, we wash our cars with it. We forget to turn the spigot off, right? You know, and, and yet there's people who don't have that. So that's Christmas Eve. And now last week, you know, we, we looked at three major players in the Christmas story, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary. And, and what, we, what we saw in them as we looked at their lives and their story is we, we saw a, a portrait of, of destiny. And remember, your destiny as a Jesus follower, the destiny of every Jesus follower in this room is to become more and more like Christ and to be used for his honor and glory. That's the destiny for every one of us, you know, to become more and more like Christ and be used for his honor and glory. And, and what this a middle school age girl and elderly couple taught us last week is that when it comes to destiny, it's never too late to be used by God. Uh, when it comes to destiny, it's never too early to be used by God. And that when it comes to destiny, it's what we do with what he has done and what he does. You see, and this is so true, when it comes to our destiny, because of what, because of what Jesus did and does, you know, we need to rethink possible, right? We need to rethink possible. We need to rethink what what can God really do through me? You know, how much can I really become like Jesus? And what can God really do through me for his honor and glory? We need to rethink possible, right? Because the God that we serve and worship is a God for whom nothing is impossible. Amen? Bottom line, never underestimate what God can do when he impregnates his plan and purpose into the life of anyone regardless of age. Whether young or old, we realize that, man, God says, you know what, I, I can birth in you my plan and my purpose. When that, when that thing takes root and grows, never underestimate what God can do. We're never too old and we're never too young. Amen? It, it's true. Okay, well, after this encounter with Gabriel, Mary packs her bags and she heads off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant at the time. And, you know, I, I've always loved the, the scene when, uh, when Mary shows up at Elizabeth's place. I mean, as soon as Mary arrives, as soon as the sound of her greeting, hey, Beth, what's up, you know, reaches her ears, the scripture says that the baby inside of Elizabeth, which was John the Baptist, leaped with joy. I don't know how you tell if it's a leap for joy or not, but obviously, you know, Holy Spirit told her, hey, that's a, that's a leaping for joy movement. And that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that she said to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? You know? Have you ever thought about 
why are we so honored that the Lord would want to live in us, not just visit us? I mean, why are we so honored that God would want to live with us and live in us? When I heard your greeting, the baby, and notice it's a baby, it's life, it's, it's not fetal matter, it's life. Life begins at conception. The baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. I really like that right there, right? Because that's our problem, right? We don't take God at his word. We say, hey, you're blessed because you believe that God would do what he said. So Mary hangs out with Elizabeth for about three more months, obviously hanging around to see the birth of John the Baptist and thinking, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, that's not going to be a whole lot of fun. And then she returns back home, and it's here that we begin uh, to see the, the portrait of obedience begin to be painted on the canvas of Joseph's life. Our text is Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. But before we begin to, to really unpack our text, I, I think it's important for us to, to, to take note of how Matthew begins his gospel. He begins it this way. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then right after that comes that long list of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, or so-and-so begat so-and-so. Now, now we're not going to take uh, time this morning to read all those names. And no, it has nothing to do with my fear of mispronouncing every one of them and having a room full of people laugh at me. No, it's purely for the sake of time, well, almost purely. But, so we have all these names, we have all these begats, and, and then, then Matthew wraps things up concluding with the name. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Next verse. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. See, Matthew arranges his genealogy into three groups of 14 people, representing the three major periods of Israel's history, Abraham, David, and the exile. And Matthew's intent, or the Holy Spirit's intent, is to, is to demonstrate that Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that God made to the nation. Now understand, Jesus and his coming was what everything in the Old Testament had always been pointing to. And that's why the first chapter of Matthew is designed to answer the all-important question of who is Jesus? In his opening words, Matthew gives us two very important parts of that answer. Number one, through his genealogy, Matthew is declaring, is making the case that Jesus is the son of David through his adopted father, Joseph. And therefore, he is the true and legal heir to the divinic throne and the fulfillment of God's promise to David. God had said to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure for how long? Forever. And God, God in Matthew is saying, you know, I told you that one day you would have a king and a kingdom that will be forever. Well, boom, here it is. Here's Jesus. Here's the king, and here is his kingdom. And number two, in Matthew's opening words, he's, he's trying to let us know that, that not only is Jesus, Jesus is not merely a man, but in fact, he is actually He's actually God. And Matthew does that um, not only by what he says later in our text, 
when he says the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us, which is crazy, right? That's just crazy. You know, again, who, how, we would never have thought this up, right? You know, that this all-powerful being would come in the form of a baby born to a, 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 a carpenter, a blue-collar worker, you know, in a stable. Yeah, we would never have thought that up if God didn't do it. God with us. But interestingly, Matthew also gives a subtle hint that Jesus, is his birth is different than other births in the genealogy. Now, let me explain. Uh, there are four other women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, which, you, which we're not reading, right? And besides Mary, which was pretty uncommon at that time to include women in a genealogy, but, but, but it did happen. And usually when it happened, it was because the women that were mentioned were women of really noble and incredible character. Well, except for Ruth, the women in Jesus' genealogy, that's not them, right? Tamar is in there. She was, uh, she was guilty of prostitution and incest. Rahab was a prostitute and a foreigner, and Bathsheba who's not even mentioned by name, committed adultery with David. I love what Mark Moore says in his commentary. Uh, These gals did not belong in the lineage of the Messiah, yet there they are, as a neon reminder of the grace of God. When Mary was accused of being raped, or worse, and ostracized by her family and friends, each of these women could have stood next to her and said, Honey, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. In like matter, we, you and I, we do not belong in that family line either. But praise God for his amazing grace through which we have been adopted into that family through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen and amen. Okay, now here's the very subtle thing about Jesus' birth being a little bit different. And it, it only shows up in the Greek, all right? And, and and when Matthew talks about, you know, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, Bathsheba, who's not mentioned by name, you know, having a child, it uses a Greek phrase that means, you know, out of Tamar, out of Ruth, you know, out of Bathsheba was born, right? Out of. For Jesus, it uses a totally different frame for, with Mary. Of whom was begotten, right? It, totally different. He has a little different birth, a little bit different. It wasn't a normal birth. Now, now back to our story of Joseph. Are you ready to do this? All right, cool. I, I, I wasn't doubting you. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes, so, you know, are you ready to do this? I mean, do you believe that God has a word for you today? I'm just convinced anytime we come into God's presence, whether it's at home, sitting on our floor, right, uh, or in our office or in this building, that God has a word for us, and he has a word for us today. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the word Christ is a title, not a last name. For years, right, you know, I used to think, you know, I'm, I'm, what's my name, Steve Malone, right? And if Jesus had a name tag, it'd be Jesus Christ. Christ was his last name. It's, it's not his last name. It wasn't Mary Christ and Joseph Christ, right? You know, uh, Jesus Christ is a title. It means the Messiah. It means the anointed one. And, and, and uh, his mother was pledged, like we talked about last week, right? You know, it, it was an arranged marriage, and it was legally binding and to, to a guy named Joseph. Now, how old do you think Joseph was? Now, we don't really know, but how old do you think he was? 
Now, I, I did some research on this. You know, and, and before the 400 AD, most people thought he was probably in his early 20s, right? We tend to think he's like, you know, a, a guy collecting Social Security, right? Some really old guy, you know? And I think part of the reason for the shift was by 400 AD, you know, there's a teaching coming out about Mary, uh, that Mary remained a virgin for life, you know? Her entire life, she, she, she was always a virgin. And, and uh, but that would make it hard to explain that Jesus had a family of at least six other kids, right? Um, we know from Mark 6, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon? And aren't his sisters here with us, right? And so he had to be old because he was a widower that brought a bunch of kids with him. But again, we don't really know how old he was. Um, but before they came together, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You ever wonder how Joseph found out? Did he see, was there a post in Facebook, right, with child, you know? Um, did Mary tell him right when she got back from visiting with Elizabeth? Um, was Mary starting to show, right, well, now I need to tell him? And, and how in the world did she begin this difficult conversation? You ever, di- ever had a difficult conversation? You're like, okay, how do I get this thing started? And, now, gentlemen, put yourself in Joseph's sandals. What would you think? How would you respond? I mean, Joseph was no doubt looking forward to the day when he would take his bride home and they would begin their lives together. And now this. I mean, talk about being hit by a freight train. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that if he isn't the daddy, then somebody else is. Yeah, the woman that he loves, that he's planning to marry, has been with another man. No, Joseph is not buying Mary's crazy story at all. And I probably wouldn't either. You see, as far as Joseph was concerned, Mary had betrayed him. She had publicly humiliated him. She had made him the brunt of everyone's jokes. And now he had the right, according to Jewish law, to drag her into the public square and have her stoned to death. According to Scripture, Joseph was what kind of man? He was a righteous man. I understand Joseph was not the kind of guy to strike out in anger. He was not the kind of guy to demand his pound of flesh, to seek revenge to make decisions based solely on his own feelings, welfare, and what is best for him. Instead, he's a, he was a type of guy who, who thinks of others and, and does the right thing, even if doing the right thing isn't easy or it actually hurts him. And as I like to say, you know, that the, the right thing and the easy thing are seldom what? They're seldom the same thing. And so the bottom line is, Joseph is unwilling to hurt Mary or even to shame her publicly. So he decides to divorce her quietly. I mean, no need to pull in a bunch of people into this scenario who did not have a need to know. The scripture says, as he considered this, right? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I don't know if he talked to his mom, his dad, to his friends, his brothers. As he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, which is pretty crazy. That means God knew what he was thinking, what he was considering, which means what? God knows what we're thinking and what we're considering. Kind of scary. Angel Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I know you're hurt. I know you're afraid. I know you don't want to marry her because you think if she's, she's done it to you once, then she'll do it to you again. But don't be afraid to take her as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the angel 
basically tells Joseph three things in, in, in this initial greeting. Number one, Joseph, Mary has not been unfaithful to you. She's actually telling you the truth. She carries, the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can take her as your wife. Number two, Mary's going to have a baby boy. And you, as his adopted father, you get to name him. And you're to name him Jesus, which means what? God saves. And Joseph, he's not going to be an ordinary child. In fact, he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew continues, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, through his prophet, which was Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus was born. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. And again, just think about that. You know, we, don't, we don't think about that enough. You know, God capital G God. He's with us. He's in us. He's for us. He's in our corner. Yeah, the one who reigns forever, right? He's a friend of mine. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Yeah, it appears they, you know, they moved the wedding date up a little, it got kind of hard. You know, they, they, they already had reservations, but they moved it up a little bit. And, and then Joseph, interestingly, it says, you know, that, you know, you know, he did not have sexual relationship with Mary until after Jesus was born. You know, people today have a hard time waiting before you're married. <laughs> Joseph actually waited after he was married in order to honor God. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord commanded. And you know what I find very interesting about Joseph? Everything we know about Joseph is based not on what he said, but on what he did. Because Joseph is never quoted one time in Scripture. Understand why everyone else in the Christmas story gets a speaking part. Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, the angels, the wise men, the shepherds, Herod, and the little drummer boy, rum-pum-pum-pum, he even he had a speaking part, right? And I saw even that oxen lambs were keeping time in but anyhow, Joseph doesn't talk once. He just acts. I mean, we, we see God speaking through an angel to Joseph three or four times, but rather than listening to Joseph, we watch Joseph do. We watch how he responds to Mary's confession about this pregnancy. We, we watch how he responds to the angel who appeared to him in a dream, and we watch what he does when he wakes up. And it's in watching what Joseph does that, that we see this awesome portrait of obedience. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about obedience. And obedience is not a four-letter word. It's actually nine, but it's not, it's not a four-letter word. You know what I mean? It's not something to be afraid of. It's something really actually incredibly awesome. And God's intent today is that you and I would leave this place wanting to be a little bit more like Joseph. I know in that monologue you know, Joseph is like, God, why, why did, I know why you picked Mary, but I'm not sure why you picked me. I think we know why. Because he was a righteous man, and Joseph was obedient. So for this portrait of Joseph, we, we see several things about obedience. Number one, obedience can at times be embarrassing. I mean, Joseph was obedient to God, even though it, it was embarrassing to his reputation. I, I mean, if he didn't buy Mary's story, was anybody else going to buy Mary's story? Absolutely not. Joseph, 
I cannot believe you are not honorable and did not wait to have sexual relationship with your wife. Joseph, why would you marry somebody like Mary? An immoral woman. And listen, this obedience would have long-term consequences that would be embarrassing. In fact, even years later, when Jesus is in his hometown teaching, there are, there are a bunch of hecklers in the, in the crowd who, who said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, where's your dad? Where's your dad? Oh, that's right. You don't even know who your dad is, right? Because they, they were still talking about this crazy pregnancy 30 years later. You see, obeying God can be embarrassing. I mean, ask Joshua, right? Great military commander walking around the walls of Jericho. Man, you just got to know there's some, you got to know there were some people in Jericho standing on those massive walls and say, hey, Joshua, do you take requests? You know, hey, how about playing another song? We're tired of that one. It was embarrassing for Noah, right, to build an ark in the middle of the desert. Even more embarrassing for his kids. Dad, this art in our front yard is killing our social life, man. It's all over Snapchat and Facebook, everywhere. Embarrassing. It, it can be embarrassing for us as well. It can be embarrassing not to do certain things or go to certain places because of our faith. It, it can be embarrassing to proclaim your faith in Christ and you and your belief in what the Bible says about certain issues in an environment where many think it's all such a joke, right? Seriously, you believe that God created the world in seven days? I don't believe that. I believe he did it in six and rested on day seven, right? You, know? you really believe that, that, that life begins at conception? You really believe that, archaic Bible? It can be embarrassing, right? It can be embarrassing to admit you're wrong, to ask for forgiveness, to own your mistakes, to confess your sins, to turn the other cheek, to, to go the second mile. Obedience at times can be embarrassing. It also can be inconvenient. It, it was inconvenient for Joseph when God asked him to obey him. Is it inconvenient to move up his wedding plans and to begin marriage with a pregnant wife and a kid on the way? Great, great. Now I need a bigger house and a bigger paycheck, right? Inconvenient. And this inconvenience for Joseph, it didn't end at Matthew chapter 1. It continued through Matthew chapter 2. I mean, Joseph, Jesus, he's a toddler running around the house, and God tells him one day, Joseph, get up and flee to Egypt. And he's like, wait a minute, God, my carpenter business is, is going well. All our family's here. But Joseph got up and obeyed. And years later in Egypt, he gets another call from God. Joseph, it's time to go back to Judea. He's like, are you kidding me? We're finally settled in Egypt. I got a decent job. Mary has a bunch of friends. Jesus really loves his elementary school, and he, he really loves his soccer coach. And then later he makes plans. He buys his ticket. He makes a deposit on the apartment in Judea, and God says, oh, by the way, you're not going to Judea. You're going to live in Nazareth. And by the way, Nazareth was not voted, like Charlottesville, the happiest place to live, right? You know? it, it, it was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, from Joseph, we learned that obeying God, it can be inconvenient. 
It was inconvenient for a lot of people in the Bible, right? It was inconvenient for Abraham at age 75 to to leave everything behind. It was inconvenient for Jeremiah to preach a message that nobody wanted to hear. It was inconvenient for Esther to to go before the king. It was inconvenient for Peter and Andrew, James and John to leave everything in order to follow Jesus. Obeying God can be inconvenient. Obedience may, may require us to give up our plans, right? We're gonna, I'm going to go to that movie. I'm going to watch that game, but i got to give it up because somebody needs my help. It can be convenient. It, 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 it may, it's going to be inconvenient if you decide, hey, you know what? I, I heard last week Steve talking about children's ministry could need some more workers, you know? You know, and God says, maybe you should do that. Like, you have kids, and God loves kids, and they need help, and that could be inconvenient, right? Because now you're not just coming here for one hour being fed. You're going to have to come in for two hours and feed others. That's a little bit inconvenient. You know, in 1987, God decided to make my obedience to him, you know, pretty inconvenient. You know, I'd spent nine and a half years in the Navy. Um, I was ready to reenlist and collect a $50,000 reenlistment bonus. Uh, I was planning to retire at age 38 and then go to Bible college. And then I, I put myself in the wrong, well, the right place, you know, at, at a youth convention as a sponsor. And God said, nah, nice plan, but no. You know, you need to sell your house, sell your car, you need to go to Bible college now. That was inconvenient. See, obeying God does not always fit nicely and neatly into our plans, our agendas, and our schedule. Let's see, God. Let, hold on, God. Let's see. I think, I think I have December 14th. Tuesday, 2020. By the way, it is a Tuesday. I looked it up, right? Got, got, on Tuesday, December 14, 2020, 1 p.m., but call first in case something has come up in the meantime. It's not always convenient, and it doesn't always make sense. I mean, what the angel said didn't make sense. That's never happened before or since. A, a virgin giving birth to a child and a child being God? Getting married to Mary and then waiting to, to be with his wife until Jesus is born, making all those moves, you know, at, at inconvenient times, none of that made sense. And, and sometimes the things that God asks you and I to do, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. A, a shepherd boy facing a giant, Moses going back to rescue his people at age 80, hey God, couldn't you have brought the burning bush like 40 years earlier? You had to let me age 40 dec- four decades, and now you're asking me to do this? Gideon facing an army of 100,000 with 300 guys? That does not make sense. And a lot of things that God asks you and I to do, it just doesn't make sense. Obedience doesn't always make sense. To pray for your enemies? I want to choke them, right? Do good to those who hurt you? That doesn't make sense. Forgive those who hurt you? Turn the other cheek? To put the needs of other people before your own, but what about, what about me? Uh, to give your offering to God when you're like, okay, God, I know you say I'm supposed to give, and I know 10% should be my minimum. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to obey you right now and returning resources to you. See, obedience doesn't always make sense. Next in Joseph's portrait, we see that obedience usually comes at a price. I mean, Joseph paid a price, right? Part of that was the inconvenience, embarrassment, doing things that didn't make sense. 
no doubt leaving homes and businesses behind. Moses rescuing God's people came with a price. Read Hebrews 11 about people serving God and they're following God and obeying God came with a price. We're reading faith comes from hearing and our faith comes from hearing. We're reading about Paul. My goodness, right? He obeyed God, didn't he? And boy, did it come with a price, man. He's in jail right now in Acts 25 where we're at. You see, obeying God, it'll come with a price. For some people, it means that Hey, they're going to have to sit home alone on Friday and Saturday night because they, don't, they refuse to do those things anymore. It, 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 it may mean people cut off a relationship that is not honoring to God, right? Yeah, it comes with a price. Yeah, obeying God may, may mean that, hey, I, I don't have as much money to spend on the things that I want because I've decided to stop making excuses and decided to start honoring God with what he's blessed me with. Comes with a price, right? Volunteering the church, whether it's serving anywhere, right? Comes with a price, right? You're gonna have to give up your time. You have to give up your convenience. There's always, there's always a cost to obedience. Amen. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Thank you. And Jesus talked about price of obedience a lot, didn't he? If anyone wants to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But not only did he talk about obedience, he modeled it, right? And relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Being very nature, God did not consider quality of God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to what? To death. You see... Bottom line, that you know, the price and the cost for our obedience, for my obedience and yours, is self, is us, is me, is you, is us no longer living our lives for ourselves. But I got to ask you a question. Do you think when all was said and done that Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Esther, Joseph, Paul, do you think they regretted the cost they paid? Do you think they felt, do you think, do you think they had buyer's remorse when they finally got the reward? No, absolutely not. Next that we look at Joseph's Christmas portrait, we see that obedience is always centered on God, on his glory, his purpose, and his promises. I mean, every time that God commanded and Joseph obeyed, it was always centered on one or all of those three purposes, God's glory, God's purpose, and God's promises. Matthew 1, 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and then they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 2, 15. He's in Egypt. He stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. Matthew 2, 22 and 23. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Now understand, Joseph's obedience fulfilled God's promises and God's purpose, and it brought him glory. His obedience fulfilled God's promises and God's purpose, and it brought him glory. Get it? Good. And again, obedience is not about us. And it's not even about other people, Right? See, when you forgive that other person, it's not, even, it's not about you. It's not ultimately about them. It's about fulfilling God's purposes, fulfilling God's promises, and bringing God glory. 
And I, for one, think that's a very powerful and sustaining motivation for my obedience, right? Knowing that my obedience is going to help fulfill God's purpose and God's promises, and that my obedience, if be that obedience is, is forgiving someone who hurt me, right, or something like that, knowing that it's bringing God honor and glory. Obedience is always centered on God. And finally, obedience will always be rewarded. I mean, I mean think about it. Be- because of his obedience, Joseph got to hold God. He got to feed God, carry God. He, he, he got to teach God how to swing a hammer, right? How to, how to cut a board. If he wasn't obedient, he would have had none of those experiences. Deuteronomy 5, 33, we see this principle about obedience. Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? So that you may what? Live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. He says, man, when you, when you obey me, you're going to really live. You're going to find out what life is really all about. See, obedience is a good thing, not a bad thing. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus is teaching and someone shouts out from the crowd, blessed is a mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Man, blessed is Mary. Man, Mary had it going on. What a reward Mary had for what she did. And Jesus, I love it. He replied, not really. Well, it's, it's good, but blessed rather are those who what? Who hear the word of God and obey it. See, our obedience will always be rewarded. And, and here's just some rewards of obedience. Not in your notes. They'll pop up on the screen. Number one, being used by God, right? Being used by God. You know, why was God able to use Moses? Because he obeyed and he, he, he went back to deliver God's people. Why was he able to use Abraham? Because he obeyed. And left everything, even though he didn't know where he was going. Why was he able to use Paul? Because he obeyed. See, if we say we want to be used by God, but we don't want to obey God, right? When we obey God, we can be used by God for his honor and for his glory. Also, one of the rewards of obedience is it helps us to really know God. Check out this scripture here. We know that we've come to know him if we what? Have a t-shirt, right? No, if we want, we've asked commands. See, there's something about obeying God and lining our wills with his that we go, whoa, I get it. This is really who you are. And it goes on to say that if we don't obey him, we don't really know him. Third, you know, it, 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 our, our obedience, it pleases God. Don't, don't you want to please him? I mean, I think we got to go back to that childlike faith. I mean, our, our kids, when they're little, they just want to please us, right? Everything they do, they want to do, hey, do you like it? They want to please us, and we should want to please God. And Scripture says, without faith, and faith and obedience are two peas in a pod, you know, without obedience, it's impossible to please God. Next, for confidence in where we stand with God. Yeah, you see, I'm not saying obedience changes our standing with God. But see, it's hard for you and I to be confident in our standing with God if we know we're disobeying God. Does that make sense? 
We know God's asking us to do certain things, not do certain things, but we decide not to obey. How confident can we be in it? But I tell you, when we're obeying God to the best of our ability, there's a confidence that we have. There's a confidence that where we stand with God. And finally, you know, we receive blessings and God's favor. You know, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and they obey it. There's just blessings, right? Man, there's a joy that comes with obedience. There's a, there's a peace that comes with obedience. There's a protection from stupid things, right, that comes with obedience, right? See, a lot of things that God says are, are God wants to protect us, right? Like, he's a lot smarter than we are. And certain things he says, like, he says, hey, this is for your good, not for your harm, right? This is for your good, not for your harm, you know? God says, you know, you know, bitterness and unforgiveness after something someone did to you 10, 20, 30 years ago last week, he says, you need to let it go because it's not good for you. It, it, it's for our good, not for our harm. When God says, give back to him, bring your resources, it's for our good, not for our harm. There's blessings, right, that, that come when we give and, and when we're generous and when we, we, we don't do things that we're not supposed to do, right? There's blessings, Scripture ends, or I want to end with just this right here. It's, you know, when, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And, and, and that's my hope today, that we will wake up to the beauty, the wonder, the awesomeness of obedience and see it as a good thing. Obedience is not a four-letter word. Obedience brings great reward. And obedience honors our God. It brings him glory. It helps to fulfill his plan and his purposes and enables us to be used by God. You know, Joseph was used by God. He got to hold God because of his obedience. And I know God has great things in store for us. And the road that gets us there to enjoy those things and experience those things is obedience. Would you stand and pray with me? <laughs> Father God, we God, we humbly and joyfully, Lord, come before you. And God, we're stubborn. We're, 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 we're like your people back, back in the day. <laughs> uh, we're stiff-necked. We're rebellious. We want to do our own thing, go our own way, make our own plan, write our own script, make it about us. And God, we, we, want our, we, we, we demand our independence, we demand our rights, and, and God, help us, help me to see the wonder and beauty, to see this portrait of obedience painted by a guy that became the stepdad to your son. God, we love you so, so very much. And God, I, I pray that, that we will be a people who always trust you and obey you. Because the reality is there is no other way to be happy, to be blessed, to have your favor in Jesus, but to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.